Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanin Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another interesting monologue for you today. It's part three of our podcast series this week, and today we need to talk about a deeply troubling issue that continues to plague our nation's education system, the school-to-prison pipeline, and the rise of African-American students being homeschooled. Buckle up. Because this is a story that demands all of our attention. Now let's start with the school-to-prison pipeline. It's a disturbing reality where students predominantly African-American are pushed out of schools and into the criminal justice system. And instead of nurturing their potential, we're funneling them into a path that leads straight to prison. It's a pipeline that has been perpetuated by zero-tolerance policies, harsh disciplinary practices, and an alarming disparity in how punishments are given out among students of different races. The statistics from 2016 to 2022 paint a grim picture. African-American students are disproportionately suspended and expelled at higher rates far higher than their white counterparts. And according to data from the U.S. Department of Education, black students made up only 15 percent of public school students, yet they accounted for a staggering 39 percent of suspensions. This systemic bias within our education system contributes to a cycle of poverty and incarceration, robbing these young minds of their potential and leaving families devastated by the loss of opportunities. It's a vicious cycle that needs to be broken, and it starts with acknowledging and dismantling the implicit biases that have allowed this pipeline to flourish. But wait! There's more! There's another side to this tale. Amidst the struggles in traditional schools, we're seeing a growing trend of African-American families turning to homeschooling as an alternative. Now, homeschooling, when done right, can provide a tailored and nurturing education for children. However, we must examine why this trend is on the rise for African-American students from 2020 to 2022. The pandemic, which upended the world in 2020, played a significant role in this shift. Families of color face unique challenges during remote learning with limited access to technology and Internet connectivity, exacerbating existing inequalities. Homeschooling became an appealing choice for many African-American families seeking to protect their children's education in a time of uncertainty. And while homeschooling can offer flexibility and individualized learning, it's crucial to address the potential downside. Homeschooling can isolate students from diverse experiences, limiting their exposure to different perspectives and cultures. Moreover, the quality of homeschooling varies widely depending on resources, parental involvement, and curricular choices. He's right, you know. The rise in homeschooling among African-American students also underscores the need to fix the broken systems within our traditional schools. Families should not feel compelled to homeschool out of fear or a lack of faith in the education system. Shame. 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 We must invest in public education and work tirelessly to create safe, inclusive, and supportive environments for all students. So what can we do to tackle these issues head on? Well, I'm glad you asked. First and foremost, we need comprehensive education reform. Let's reevaluate zero-tolerance policies and invest in restorative justice practices that prioritize understanding and growth over punitive measures. Additionally, we must provide support and resources for struggling schools, especially in underserved communities. We need to ensure that every child has access to quality education, regardless of their zip code. 
And for those who choose homeschooling, let's encourage diversity in curricula and promote connections with our homeschooling families and communities. Education should be a bridge that unites us, not a wall that separates us. So in conclusion, the school-to-prison pipeline and the rise of African-American homeschooling are urgent issues that demand our attention. We cannot afford to let our education system continue to perpetuate inequality and rob these young minds of their potential. So let's work together to build a future where every child, regardless of their race or background, can thrive and succeed. And now, our parents. We have with us today Teach Jay, a Melanin Report contributor and a black facilitator of education. And accompanying Teach Jay is Dr. Andrew Singh, a adjunct faculty member at Harrisburg Area Community College. I would like to thank you both for coming on the program today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so first and foremost, let's let's talk about the monologue first. Um, some of your reactions uh, to the information that was in there. Um, appreciated the statistics, right? Like, let's be real about what's actually going on. But I'm also ready for a great conversation with you. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with homeschooling our kids right now? Uh, what's wrong? I, I would say the access to technology. Mm -hmm. And I think your report did uh, point out some crucial points that not everyone has equal access. Mm -hmm. There's no standardization. So there's a huge variability. Some students are getting, quote unquote, better quality because if their parents are educated, they yeah. have the support. But if the parents don't have the education and background, they're not able to provide that support that a child may need at home. Right. So that increased variability can then change the future trajectory of the child and the opportunities. Hmm. And of course, one of the important things about sending a child to public school is them learning social skills. Yeah. Anyone can learn math and science at home sometimes if the parents are educated enough to teach them, at least up to the middle school, maybe even lower high school level. Mm. But it's the social skills, learning to get along with other kids. That enrichment, that is very critical. And I think uh, homeschooling can, to some extent, deprive children of that. That's interesting that you brought that up because when I look at uh, both of my kids, um, my oldest, we didn't send her to, to um, daycare and, and pre-K and, and all that. My youngest, we, we did send her to, to pre-K uh, and, and daycare and, and all that. And just the socialization of, of them is very different you, you know the youngest that's the social butterfly right there you, you know uh the oldest she's she's a lot more reserved and introverted and and to herself and, and i always wondered is, is is that because you know during her her first three years like she was with me and and, and i'm i'm like that so so it it's interesting. It's it's a multifactorial. Every person's personality is very multifactorial, starting with genetics and epigenetics and the environment. And mm -hmm. So there are lots of other factors. But yes, that could be one of the contributing factors. Yeah. I'm not saying it is. Mm -hmm. It's possible it is. Right. Teach that. So we're assuming that we're teaching appropriate social skills to our kids in school. 
right? Mm. I mean, is that actually happening? So as we are having this discussion, then the other pushback is 20 years ago, there was no such thing as working from home. Now that's an ongoing thing. So if the personality fits somebody where they are introverted, why don't we learn, help them learn how to be successful in that space, right? Mm. Finding a career path that fits that necessarily like social expectation. But again, my pushback is that we are assuming that social skills are being taught. And I am telling you from firsthand knowledge, absolutely not. Oh, <laughs> so I will I would I would um, diverge from that point of view a little bit. I just said social skills. Mm. I didn't say good school social skills. I didn't say the correct social skills. Yeah. It's just being out there with other people. Mm. I'm not saying good people. I'm not mm. saying bad people. Mm-hmm. Just people. Just learning to be in a group. Um, Learning to be with people whom you have a disagreement with. Yeah. Learning, to, and I think we as adults too, in the last few years, have moved away from that. Yes. Over the last few years, with the polarization of everything, people tend to only hang out with similar-minded people. Right. And they have they have, they're in their own little echo chambers. So their own point of view is amplified when they talk to each other. Yeah. And they do not. We no longer seem to be able to have civil adult conversations and debates with people who are different from us, who think differently from us. Mm-hmm. When adults are doing that, how are kids supposed to learn? Right. And so just being in a classroom where different kids have different personalities, different points of view, different social skills, different, mm-hmm. learning to stand your ground, learning to interact, learning to negotiate, mm-hmm. Uh, learning to be a friend, uh, learning to stand up for someone else, yeah. learning to identify a bully. Those social skills, mm-hmm. how are we to learn them at home? And we know that a child's brain, is certain parts of the brain are pretty developed by the age of five. Mm-hmm. By the age, of, they're still pre-K. Yeah. Kids are entering kindergarten at the age of five. So a lot of that personality development, a lot of those very basic skills of interacting with people, learning to understand another person's body language and cues, learning to know when to stay away from a person, mm-hmm. learning to identify your own safety zone, learning to identify when am I being violated, when do I want to learn to say no, those are assert- being assertive, communication skills. Mm-hmm. I don't think we learn that at home. Hopefully presuming that home is our safe place and Mm -hmm. our loving, caring environment, we don't get challenged at home. Great point. Great point. Teacher Jay, you, um, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that I think we we need to think outside of the box. I'm I'm hearing that they're not learning at home, but then you can put your kids in positions where they're able to, you know, be in congregation with other students, because I'm just going to keep reiterating from what I'm seeing right now firsthand. These are not the social skills that you want your children's being exposed to. And what I mean by that is the adult in the room doesn't have the ability to control that group of kids. Mm. Maybe if we were going to like the community nonprofit and they were in the actual school system where we can have like examples being set of how to positively interact, then maybe that would be a better construct. But again, what the kids are learning in school, I don't think it necessarily meets the same expectations that are the home is setting for what is an appropriate social skill and all the things that you just described. It's not being led by a person that looks like them. So mm. it's a different completely different ideology and ideas. Teacher Jay, you uh you you brought up um a a point off air about uh you you feel as though that that there's there's less of a preparation for school and more of a preparation for prison. Yes. Could you go into detail about that? Yeah, so currently right now and I if 
anybody that's listening. If you are a parent, please start engaging with your kid, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out what is actually being taught because currently what's going on is that we have kids in a classroom. I have over 30 kids right now. The actual academic levels range from literally pre-K, so not even kindergarten, pre-K all the way up to ninth grade, to have 32 kids that are at those differentiated levels and I'm teaching all subjects, it is absolutely impossible. On top of that, the expectation is if they purchase this curriculum, then it must be taught. I think we're all learning right now in Florida that we need to be mindful of what we're actually teaching our kids and what's being allowed. So basically what I'm trying to say is our kids are experiencing nothing but defeat. They're Mm. not experiencing success. They're not learning. They're just being exposed to grade level text. Then they're failing a test. What else are we preparing them for? As they're walking silently in a hallway, somebody's walking around to take trash all up at the table. When we do a morning meeting, a time in which the kids are supposed to be socializing, Mm -hmm. they're going around the circle and shaking one hand and having one person speak. And I jokingly say, I can only think of certain places where people sit around in a circle and you have to wait 30 minutes for that to Mm. go around. I don't know if we are preparing them for personal success, just a system, Mm. learning how to sit quietly in a system. That's interesting. That's interesting. Dr. Singh, what are you seeing um, on the collegiate level? So I totally understand uh, Teach Jay's point of view. I do not teach school children. Mm. Um, Well, not true. I do tutor school children, but I do a lot of one-on-one tutoring. Okay. And so each child is different. Irrespective of their grade level, I know where their performance level is. Getting to know the child, getting to know their strengths and weaknesses, their learning style, I'm able to modify my teaching style based on that. Um, So I don't get that opportunity to see children sitting in a circle and talking. I teach adults. Majority of my students are adults um, where I'm an adjunct faculty at HAG. And there, too, we see some adults who are fresh out of high school, and we have some adults who've been out of any educational institution for years, sometimes decades, and they're coming back. I strongly encourage my students, and I, and I truly believe this, I say this to my own children, I say this to my students, is identify yourself. What kind of a student are you? What kind of a learner are you? Once you identify that, and you identify what you want to learn, once you know how you learn, and once you know what you want to learn, nothing can stop you from succeeding. Because way too many times I've seen my adult students sometimes break down almost in tears and say, I believed all my life that I was weak in math or I was too, quote unquote, dumb to understand concepts like molarity or concentration and stuff. And today you taught it to us and it's so simple. I feel stupid. And I'm like, no, you're not stupid. Um, It's just... Sometimes the way things are taught, a lot of students say, I hate math because I had a terrible math teacher. I hate physics because my physics teacher was X, Y, Z or whatever. And I I find that very unfortunate, that students are denied a fair opportunity to pursue a subject that could have been their strength Mm. had they figured a way to learn it. And that's a great point because, to, to your point about physics, I go around telling folks that I absolutely love physics. Um, because my 11th and 12th grade physics teacher was amazing. Shout out to Mr. Longnecker. I mean, still, still, still send him um, um, emails and everything like that, checking up on, on him because he, he made that experience uh, fun. You know, um, that, that, that's a great point. I want to um, uh, bring up 
um, uh, churches and community organizations uh, like the like, like the Rock Church uh, that 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 has chose to to open up uh, their doors um, to have uh, to, to basically have a, uh, a homeschooling type situation there uh, with retired teachers helping. Do you think that something like that could help combat this this pipeline? Absolutely. Otherwise, right now we are dealing with something that is called research-based curriculum. I do not know where the research is coming from. Mm. With the black and brown students, the stuff that I'm currently using, I can tell you based off of my personal research, it is not effective. I am sure that there's plenty of nonprofit groups and churches that are pouring something into that kid that's going to allow them to feel successful. Yeah. And that is all that we want, right? If every, what you had said earlier, what every if every child can feel success, then they can see it for their future. Right now, they're not feeling that. So mm. yes, nonprofits. Now, if those nonprofits are able to show that those kids are academically growing, because of that meeting once a week, now we can start going into the school systems and asking, why aren't you using the same strategy that this, not the Rock Church is Mm -hmm. using in the classroom? Because again, if it's research-based, that means that research is showing that it's working. Right Right now, the public school is using research-based curriculum and their research is showing that it's not working. Would the public school system be open to accepting new ways of thinking, new curriculum, or... Are they pretty much uh, set set in this is how we've been doing things and and hey we crank out some successes so let's keep on with what we've been doing. So this is where we start diving into a conversation that can have many many episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you are underneath the construct of the government and the government is saying that this is the state test and et cetera, et cetera, to answer your question, I don't know if it's just the public school, right? It mm-hmm. may not just be in the school board's hands. This is something that's on a larger scale. I love that. I love that. Um, Something I heard a while ago, and I didn't like it when I first heard it, but the more I think about it, it makes sense. I totally agree with you with the assessment and testing students. I call it a surrogate marker of their performance. Hmm. The subject I teach at Hack Anatomy Physiology, it's a hard subject. It's very, very difficult. And a lot of students, a lot of bright, intelligent students don't always pass the first time. Mm. And I tell my students, do not associate your self-esteem with your grade. Wow. You might be the first educator that I heard say that. Think of your final exam as a 500-pound barbell or one of those weightlifting thingies, Mm -hmm. right? If you try to lift that 500-pound bell today, you're not going to be able to do it. Right. How are you going to do it? you got to start going to the gym every day. Start with 20 pounds, 30 pounds. Modify your diet. Modify your exercise, your sleep schedule. Your lifestyle has to be modified. Mm-hmm. And you got to hit the gym every day and step it up and step it up and break a sweat. And then maybe at the end of three months, four months, six months, you'll be able to lift that 500-pound weight. And maybe it'll take you more than six months. Somebody will do it in six months. Somebody will need eight months. Somebody will need eight, 12 months. Just because you didn't do it today when we tested you mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're not capable of doing it. If this is what you really, really want to do, you can do it. It's just a matter of figuring out how, when, where, and why. And I think that's the mindset we need to put in our children. And that. The way I like to think, and tell I may be naive, and I'm fortunate enough not to be restricted 
working in a school system. But even I have to meet my basic curriculum learning outcomes. Mm -hmm. We have to finish our syllabus, we have to do. But what I try to do within those walls, within those limits, is give my students freedom to choose their method of learning. Mm. In my first few introductory lectures, I tell them, I give them examples. What kind of a learner are you? Do you like to read a book? Do you listen to audio? Do you like audiovisual clips? I give them lots. In today's day and age, nothing can hold our children back from succeeding. Mm. If they are determined to succeed, they have access to YouTube and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Find what works for you. And what works for you today may not work tomorrow. Right. Today you're into watching ninja nerds or crash courses or uh, uh, amoeba sisters or whatever. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow it's just going to fly off. Next day you're going to sit with the book and you're just going to, everything's going to just go right in. You've got to figure out what is making you tick today. And that is the secret of success. And, and that is what our children need to know. Our children need to identify that their success mm -hmm. is within them. And I'll even go one more step further. I get students who tell me things like, I'm a slow reader, mm -hmm. I'm a slow learner, or something they feel is a challenge that is holding them back. And I tell my students, your superpower is under that challenge. Mm. How can we clone you? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure you want that. <laughs> be, be, because I, I mean, um, uh, from from what you're saying, that it, it really feels like you're 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 humanizing teaching. It, it's it, it's not just. You know, uh, to, to tease a, a, a sports reference here, it's not just X's and O's. You know, um, it's it, it's looking at the student holistically. Exactly. I yeah, I I, I love that. So, uh, uh, Teach Jay, um, what what have you seen uh, post COVID, and, and and is this school to pipeline system has it been exacerbated due to COVID or by COVID? No, I think it's bringing up necessary conversations because everything that she is saying, imagine being an educator and that's exactly what I want to do and I'm being told I can't. Okay. Wow. So in my room, I call it inquiry-based learning. So during COVID, I had a little bit more flexibility mm -hmm. and my kids would just play all day, you know, and I don't mean in a way where they're just playing, though they're doing Legos, they're creating and they're, they're doing research. It was just all about learning styles, everything that you're saying. And I'm being told there's a script to follow. And um, there's a script to follow because I don't think we're challenging enough. What are we actually teaching our kids? Right? Mm. Like the discussion is just not being had. What is actually being discussed? Because that 500 pound weight that you're talking about, you now imagine that kid is being exposed to that 500 pound weight every day. Mm. And every day they're feeling, can you just give me something so that way I can work up to it? And it's not an option. The slow reader, we all have to start asking what this test is. Kids have, by third grade have to read 100 words in a minute. Mm. That's not how you read best. Reading 100 words per minute, for some, that is not going to be effective. Rereading, breaking it down, taking notes. No, the test literally is read these words as fast as you can. If you're not, you're a slow reader. So I guess, again, we have to start pushing in. And I do think it's going to start with individuals just being more active in the classroom. Mm. You know, and that way, me as a teacher can be educated by other fields. I, I jokingly say we have to realize teachers never left, left school. Yeah. Like, literally never left that paradigm. I don't know much outside of a classroom. So we need support. We need volunteers to come in and start teaching so that way teachers can hear what you just said. 
right? Like that part is important because otherwise, if you're a teacher that follows the rules, you're just following a script and putting 500 pounds on that kid every single day. And and with this script, um, have you seen the script be useful? Very informative and in making me understand concepts, right? Like as a teacher, I've loved it. I've relearned how to do math. So everybody complains about the new math, but mm. now I can divide and multiply in my head. I couldn't do that before, right? Mm. So there are lots of skills, but no, I do not find a script helpful. You know, it's like Catholic church versus Baptist church. Mm. I need my congregation to start saying things back to me to know if they're understanding it. That's not what the script allows. Uh, Dr. Singh, is um, for yourself, is there um, um, like a, uh, um, for lack of better terms, a, a deprogramming moment when, when dealing with freshmen or, 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 or freshly incoming students for yourself? A deprogramming. I'm not sure I understand. Uh, uh, well, um, well, somebody, somebody that, that, that is, is used to um, a certain way of grading. Um, they're, they're used to, um, oh, oh, well, this paper always would get A's at my high school and, and now I'm somehow getting C's, you, you know, um, is, is there that kind of, um, uh, issue to, to where you, you kind of have to bring some students along or up to speed, so to speak? If I'm understanding your question correctly, one thing I do tell my students, especially if I've got a bunch of, you know, fresh graduates from high school, mm -hmm. I tell them college is different from school. Mm. Our schools, a lot of the policies have been things like no child left behind. Mm -hmm. And because of that policy, students have, many students have to do the bare minimum to get a decent grade. Yeah. And a lot of time, if you will, and effort is put on the students who are at risk of being left behind. Mm -hmm. So the students who are ahead don't get challenged enough, and majority of them get a decent grade for doing average work. Mm -hmm. In my course, that doesn't fly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> In my course, that doesn't fly. So mm -hmm. just the bare minimum will get you close to the D and F grade. Oh, wow. <laughs> but won't cross you past that. Right. Past that grind and grit. Mm -hmm. You need the grind and grit. So then, Teach Jay, is is there a way to to prepare students in public school for a doctor saying absolutely i mean as i'm sitting here i i feel like if i ask any other facilitator of education they would agree that yes that's what i tell i do all day my kids are writing notes they're doing everything that you're describing right but it's not written as research-based effective instruction mm. so to answer your question yes it's happening all over i will uh, add to that mm -hmm. i think community colleges are a great transition from high school to Ivy League College. And I'll use my own children. To Ivy example. League. Oh, I love that. Yes. Right? Because in classrooms, in school, as I said, number one, kids are used to getting a decent grade for doing the absolute minimum. Show up, get your homework done on time, you know, spend at least bare minimum amount of time preparing for a test, preparing for an exam, and passing is not hard. Mm. An average student easily manages to get a B, B plus, and some even can fly an A without putting in a lot of hard work. I know because my kids sometimes get <laughs> all their homework done in school. I'm <laughs> a homework. It's supposed to be done at home. But if you're finishing it during study hall, it's not really homework. Right. And so as a parent, sometimes I don't get to see what my kids are learning at school because everything's done. And so when I tell them, take out your books and show me what you're doing, I get the eye roll and the huff and the puff like, ah, and I got to study at home too. <laughs> so as a parent, that makes my life difficult. And sometimes I wonder if my kids are being challenged enough. Mm. Right? 
but I tell my students that in co and then uh, uh, at at Hack we have a classroom limit size. We don't have 400 students in a classroom. Oh wow! So the structure is not significantly different from a school classroom structure. Mm -hmm. We do expect the students to behave as adults and take responsibility and have some self responsibility and discipline and stuff to get their work done. But we are also there for, for we know our students to some extent individually. But you go, my son transitioned from Hag and went to Virginia Tech. He's in a classroom with 400 students. Yeah. You think his lecturer knows him? Not at all. He's just you a number. You there to help them learn what kind of student you are and what your learning style is and stuff? He ain't getting that there. He's right. on his own. Yeah. He's on his own. So I think community colleges are a great transition from school to Ivy League colleges, especially for students who feel not sure what they want to do, where they want to go, and stuff like that. I will tell you this. Um, I I never thought about that. Uh, community college to Ivy League. But, um, yeah, uh, dad's coming home to uh, preach a new sermon tonight. <laughs> I, I'll tell you that much. I, I love that. it's very economical, too. E exactly. Yeah. Yep. You have to do your gen ed courses. You have to do some basic courses. Right. And Hack has great communications and relations with a lot of local schools and universities. Yeah. So they will help you get into good students in high school can enroll in uh, college courses. They can knock a few college courses out while they're still in school. Look at that. Look and at that. And transfer it into college when they get there. You the save time, you save money, and you're a step ahead of everybody else. The more you know, the more you know, you're not only getting uh, entertained on the Melanin Report, you're also getting educated. So make sure you share this podcast because friends don't let friends Melanin Report alone. So uh, <laughs> we have um, this statistic here. Uh, there's, there's a little blurb. Um, from my monologue that says on um, the statistics from 2016 to 2022 paint a grim picture. African-American students are disproportionately suspended and expelled at rates far higher than their white counterparts. According to the data from the U.S. Department of Education, black students made up only 15 percent of public school students, yet they accounted for a staggering 39 percent of suspension. So is this one of those um, phenomenons, one of those nuances that we say that uh, this is the preparation for school to prison? Yes. But imagine that I've been looking at that statistic all 20 years that I've been teaching. Okay, wow. so now let's add in another layer. How many of the students are actually being tested for the gifted program? And out of those students that are being tested, how many of our black and brown kids are actually accepted as gifted? Because I guarantee if we look at that suspension, what if we would have tested every single one of those kids to see if maybe they were bored in class, right? Mm. So what you're describing, is this a pipeline to prison system? No, I just think that because of that pause of COVID that you asked about earlier, that a lot of us are starting just to get a lot more involved. But those statistics have been around since I first started teaching. Teaching. That's wow. nothing new. And and with that, I think about um, I think about myself as a student. I was one of those students that would finish my work fast, finish in study hall, and and then you know just entertain yourself. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, <laughs> and give your mom the eye roll when she asks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> ex exactly, exactly. Uh, so yeah, that is that is interesting that you brought that up because also I was. I was uh, tested for being gifted. And at the elementary school that I went to, they said that they didn't have any more room for the gifted program. 
but I am gifted. So are we calling it systematic racism or no? Because I'm, I missed the test by two points. Mm. Thank goodness my principal was also a member of the church that I went to mm. and he got me into the program. Yeah. Okay. So like, let's start collecting our research. Let's start having the discussion because what you just said, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Right. So then those suspensions or any trouble that you are getting into, are we going to blame the system in which you are in? And again, I love the public school system. Yeah. I think it's going to work itself out. But we have to start having some real conversations where maybe we start to reflect on our own history because I guarantee there's more that are going to repeat what you just said. And right. also, just so you know, that's against the law. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> if he could, if he applied for gifted. Meaning that he, because gifted is actually an IEP, just mm -hmm. like an IEP for kids who have any type of learning disability. So basically you were denied the rights to your IEP because oh. of no room. That's not okay. Oh, it's not wow. illegal. So again, just opening up the door. You're talking about the Rock Church. Mm -hmm. Let's start having student advocates, right? Like let's not allow these cycles to continue to repeat themselves because just to kind of reel it back. What these kids are experiencing, they're not lying to you all, mm. right? Like when they're coming home and they're complaining, I think we need to start listening to what our kids are saying is actually happening. Um, and again, just start pushing back because, again, if we're preparing our kids to say, no, you just need to sit there and be quiet. Again, what job do you just sit and be quiet mm. all day and listen to someone tell you exactly. what to do? I, I don't uh, remember the source, but I believe there was an article that did identify that a lot of students who drop out of school are actually gifted kids. They're actually wow. very intelligent kids. They dropped out because they were bored out of their mind in school. Wow. And talking about your statistics, I am blessed slash cursed with the ability to multi to process any piece of information on multiple levels simultaneously. Mm -hmm. That statistics, in my limited perspective and knowledge, is a multiple prong problem. Yeah. One definitely is systemic racism. Mm -hmm. um, the whole culture, not just in America, but many other countries, too. Um, somehow we've cultivated this ideology of monstrosizing melanin. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yes. The, what was it? The movie Building of the Nation? So there's, there's that stereotyping. Yeah. Every time you want to show someone uh, savage. Birth of a nation. Yeah. Birth of a yes, nation, right? Yes. Every time you want to show someone savage and uncivilized and unruly and criminal or demonize someone, it's always a pigmented person. Mm. So as a culture, we've done that. That's a huge yeah. reason for why there's this racial discrimination and prejudgment of a person to be worse than what they actually may be. Yeah. And therefore, punishments are also more severe for pigmented people. That's one prong, mm -hmm. probably a, definitely a very, very large prong. Mm -hmm. But there are other prongs. They may be smaller, but they're very intimate. Mm -hmm. And what we were talking of off air before we started the program. And, and I'll draw an analogy of um, emotional abuse. I'm a survivor of domestic violence and emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. So using that analogy, when someone abuses you, calls your names, demeans you, dehumanizes you, depending on your relationship with that person, sometimes you're able to rub it off your shoulder mm -hmm. because that person doesn't mean much to you. But depending on the relationship and the intensity uh, and duration, at some point you start internalizing their words. Mm. You start identifying it. And I do want to make a trigger warning for anyone who's suffering from depression, domestic violence, abuse, or suicidal. Mm -hmm. Let the police seek help. But I was subjected on a daily basis 
being told I need to go commit suicide. Mm. And after being told that repeatedly, and I don't want to go off on a tangent with that story, but I'm happy mm -hmm. to if you want me to. But I did get to a point where I felt so trapped that suicide seemed to be the only way out. Wow. And so his words became my internal voice. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So now when you demonize someone, you tell someone you are criminal, you are less than, you are less than. Mm. And you tell that to a young child. And you start to internalize that. You start internalizing that. And that's my point that I was telling about those children and the words they were saying. That when children at a young age of 10, 12, 15 start identifying that I am such and such, I am so and so, this is what's expected of me, this is mm -hmm. who I am, that's disturbing. That is sad. Yeah. And I think that's the second prong. The third prong, I'll throw in science there. Mm -hmm. um, there is research showing a direct link between lead and behavior. Yeah. Prior to 1970, before lead paint and everything was, um, we had to remove it from our paints, uh, from, uh, from our walls, uh, young children who were exposed to lead from the paint, and of course we were exposed to lead from the fumes, from all our fumes in the gasoline and stuff. Young children who were exposed to lead, that alters their brain, it mm -hmm. alters their behavior. Those same children grow up and have higher uh, behavior problems in school. They become young adults who engage more in violence. And where is lead still present in the walls? A lot of city homes. Not in suburbans, right. not in rich neighborhoods neighborhoods that couldn't afford to get painted. So you see what I'm saying? Yep. There are multiple prongs to this problem and sometimes seems to be a self-perpetuating problem. So we gotta get solutions from all directions. My mom, uh, that is an interesting point. My mom, uh, she's she's a retired probation officer and um, and and she, she brought that up about the lead because um, by the time uh, uh, the end of her serving as a probation officer, she was getting third generation people, you, you know, like I had your dad and I had your grandfather, you know, and, and she got the talking and it was like, well, everybody was in grandma's home. So, so, you know, was, was the lead, ha, has the lead, did it affect, you know, the grandfather, did it affect the dad and then did it affect the, the son? And this is why you're getting these three generations, you know, put in the system, unfortunately. Um, we we do have about one minute left here. Uh, so I, I feel like we just scratched the surface. Um, uh, so uh, so I definitely, definitely, definitely want to uh, have you all back. Uh, so before we head out, do you want to open up the floor? I just have one thing yeah, to say. Yeah. Okay, as you had spoke on like what we internalize, what if we started to encourage our kids that black and brown is just consistently beautiful, right? And if your mannerisms were okay. Earlier I had mentioned like Catholic versus Baptist. What if we encouraged you to have your 15 minutes before you started your study hall, right? Mm. What if you had that platform? What if school was a construct where we literally just looked at that child and we poured into that child whatever that child wanted to be on that day, right? Yeah. And I just want to repeat like the pipeline of prison system, please Please check into your schools and find out what are their rules, what are their expectations, and what does your child's day actually look like? Yeah. Because what, again, if your child is sitting and can't even get up to throw their trash away, we are preparing them for the prison system. Very true. Dr. And I'm running for school board at Lordoff, and I don't know if Lordoff and school district, if you're following the news, finally, families have spoken up and the media has taken attention to that. But growing up, my son walked those halls 
and the N-word being thrown around and behavior being unacceptable was normal. Mm. And teachers couldn't do anything. Um, and, and that's that's a difficult, tricky problem. I, you know, and so that at Lord Often we're dealing with that like right now. Right now. Our superintendent has resigned. Uh, a couple of our principals have left. I don't know if that's got anything to do with this situation directly or not. We've got lots of uh, turnover at that school district. Mm. So we do need to do something with that. I'm a huge supporter of public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we need public schools. Otherwise, we're going to have more disparities. Yeah, We're going to see a significantly higher disparity. So I am a huge supporter of public schools and Yes, uh, we do need to start teaching our children. We need to pour positive thoughts and self-esteem and self-confidence in our children and encourage them to be the best they can be. Yes, indeed. I want to thank you, too, for for joining me on this uh, episode of the Melanin Report, talking about the school to prison pipeline. If you did not hear the other podcasts earlier in the week, I implore you to go on ahead and take a listen and share with a friend because friends do not let friends the melanin report alone until then i'll see you on the next side trust your dopeness Baby, we can.